looking at these five values, five significant values that I really truly believe if you embody these and, and let these uh, uh, become a part of your life, you're, you're going to be successful as a follower of Jesus. So that's what we're looking at. And today we're going to go to value number four, and it's the value of what we call service or the value of serving. And this is how we look at this value. Ben, you want to put that up? Service, living a life that leaves an impact. Now, obviously, this leaves open the possibility of leaving a negative impact. We're going to go ahead and say, let's not do that. We want to leave a positive impact, right? How many of you, when you die, you don't want people to sort of curse your name, right? Well, there was Michael, and you know, he lived for himself. He was selfish. He was self-centered. These are not true things about Michael. Therefore, I can say it, right? He's my friend. And, and you know, Grandpa Michael went to, uh, he went to the place. He's looking up at us right now. And, uh, and uh, he lived for himself and he had lots of money and lots of stuff and didn't really help any. No, right? You, you want people to say, man, we're so sad that Grandpa Michael's gone because he lived, his life made an impact in a positive way. He, he affected people positively. He led people to an, into relationship with Jesus. He gave, he, he served. We want to leave a life, live a life that leaves a positive impact, Right? And, you know, the, the thing that we need to understand is that we can't control the past, right? So if you've lived for yourself in the past, you can't change that. And you can't even necessarily change the future. You know what you can change? Right now. And so living a life of service is about choosing to change my mentality, to stop living for myself and to start living for others, to begin to embody the Spirit of Christ, to serve those around me. And what happens is when we live that way right now, our life someday will have left an impact, left a positive difference. You know, as I was thinking about this message and really why this is a core value for us, I was thinking about our culture. How many of you know that we live in a very selfish, self-obsessed, self-centered culture, right? Now, I want you to understand that our generation came up with a term for taking a picture of yourself. It's called a selfie. Just meditate on the, the philosophical ramifications, <laughs> implications, impl implications, making up words. The implications of the word selfie. We have literally created a new word to describe taking a picture of oneself. And it didn't stop there. We also have the selfie stick, which is an invention to give you the ability to put your camera further away to get a better picture of yourself. If that doesn't tell you that we live in a bit of a self-obsessed culture, I don't know what does. You know, you think about shows that we like. Uh, I don't really like them, but, you know, maybe you do. American Idol, right? And uh, American Idol, it, it's okay. It's cool. Or The Voice. But you hear people, they get in line for like 10 hours, and you hear them say stuff like this. Hey, why are you here at American Idol? Uh, I'm here because I've been, you know, I've been laying my life down for other people, but now it's my turn, right? Now it's my time to see my dream come to pass, right? And there's nothing wrong with competing in a singing competition, but it shows that we have a mindset that we're, we're trying to become what? Somebody that's set apart, that sort of is a celebrity or uh, that, that we get noticed. It's, I get credit. I, I, my dream comes to pass. We're self-obsessed culture, right? And, you know, we're born this way. You don't have to teach kids to be selfish. I never sat down with my son, Jack, and I'm like, Jack, listen, I want to teach you Selfishness 101. When Evie tries to take something from you, please do her physical harm so that she knows. No, like I don't have to train it. 
Jack has this plastic hammer. In his hand, it's basically the hammer of Thor. Jack's a meaty kid, right? He's a big kid. He's, he's husky. Anyways, Jack wields this hammer, and sometimes when he gets angry, you can see his face turns red and his eyes bug out, and he gets this hammer, and you just know selfishness is coming out, right? He's, he's going to defend his rights, right? He's going to defend his territory. Kids, you don't have to teach them to be selfish. You know, I was thinking about when I was a kid, and I'm sure a lot of you are, are, uh, probably had the same experience, and maybe you're still there. You ever call shotgun? How many of you still call shotgun, right? Like, shotgun. Well, think about shotgun, okay? Shotgun is, is just like the personification of selfishness because I want the best seat for myself, right? I want the best chair. Now, not when I was a kid, honestly, like, shotgun was a really, it was like the Garden of Eden in the car because the back seat, you got McDonald's fries sticking out of the seat cushions, you know what I'm saying? It smells weird because your little brother's back there. Uh, you can't see. And when you, get, when you get shotgun and you actually get to get up into the front seat with mom or dad, like you're with your mom or your dad, that's cool because then, you know, dad can spank you right there and he doesn't have to reach back. No, but you, you're right there with mom or dad. You get the view. The air conditioner actually works in the front seat. It was the best seat, right? So I remember as a kid, shotgun brought on like World War III on just about a daily basis. But what was shotgun all about? Shotgun was all about, I want the best for me, right? And so living in this sort of self-obsessed culture, living in a selfish culture, a self-centered culture, and even having selfishness on the inside of you and me, right, from, from birth, really. Nobody taught us how to be selfish. How many of you don't need to go to college to learn how to be selfish, right? You have a master's degree or even a PhD in being pretty selfish how I am. Most of my thoughts are on myself. And this, this is the way the world is. This is the way the world is. But I want to give you a phrase today. If we want to make a difference, we need to be different. One of the, the, the amazing things about Christianity is that it turned the world upside down. In the book of Acts, some of Jesus' disciples, they were coming into a city and the rulers of that city, they said, those that have turned the world upside down have come here too. When they showed up in a city, it was recognized that they were very, very different than the rest of their culture. And I want to say that today, if we want to see our world turned upside down, if we want to make a difference, if we want to live a life that leaves an impact, we can't be exactly the same as culture, right? We can't be exactly the same as the world around us. If we want to make a difference, we need to be different. And I want to look into the scriptures here. We're going to go to Mark chapter 10, verse 35, and I want to take you right to a first century calling of shotgun, okay? First century calling of shotgun to show us that it really wasn't different 2,000 years ago when Jesus was walking around in his hipster sandals with his windblown hair and his lightly tanned face says in verse 35 of Mark chapter 10, Then James and John, these are two brothers, they came over and spoke to Jesus. And they said, Teacher, we want you to do us a favor. He, what is your request? He asked. And they replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. What are they doing? They're calling shotgun. Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, Jesus, when, when you're sitting on your throne, because we know you're going to get a throne, Jesus, like we know you're Jesus, we don't want to sit on the throne. That was what the devil tried to do, right? Sit on your throne. We don't want to sit on your throne. Jesus, 
They're singing a Carrie Underwood song. You know, Jesus, you take the wheel. You get to sit on the throne, but hey, we call shotgun, right? Let us sit on your right and your left. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. This is probably a question that if we could really hear the voice of the Lord speaking to us, oftentimes when we pray, we'd probably hear him saying like, you don't know what you're asking. How many of you have ever had prayers that you're glad God didn't answer, right? Oh, Lord Jesus, please let this girl just fall in love with me and marry me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Then later, like five years later, she's like, she crazy. You know what I'm saying? Or, or for the guys, you know what I mean? Oh, God, please let him fall in love with me. And then like two years later, he got a pot belly and, you know, he, he got double wide or something. But anyways, you're just, right? How many of you are glad that sometimes God doesn't answer your prayers? So they're, but they're calling shotgun. They're selfish. They're, they want the best spot for themselves. Jesus says, look, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. No, they're not. They're not. Not in their own strength. Jesus says, look, you guys, to sit with me, to be in my zone, it's a very different life than what you're thinking. You're thinking throne. I'm thinking cross. Right? You're thinking about a king, I'm thinking about a servant. You know, when you ask Jesus, I want to sit next to you. We sang a song, I just want to be where you are. That's a beautiful song. It's amazing. But when I think about that song, it's not just about being with Jesus sitting on a throne. It's about being with Jesus at the, serving at the white throne, which means cleaning a toilet, right? White throne ministry. It means serving people. It means giving. It means laying my life down, living a life of service, a life that leaves an impact How many of you think that Jesus Christ left an impact on the world? And it wasn't because he was a king. It's because he laid down his kingship to become a servant. Jesus said to his guys, look, you calling shotguns, you don't, this truck is going somewhere, uh, this, this vehicle is going somewhere that maybe you didn't anticipate. Can you drink this cup? Can you be baptized with my baptism of suffering? Then Jesus told them, well, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. Because he knew that these guys actually were going to give their lives and grasp what it meant to be a servant and go on as Jesus' disciples to lay their life down and actually suffer martyrs' deaths uh, and, and lives of, of suffering. But he says, I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the one he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. I love that word, indignant. Isn't being indignant fun? You see something on TV and then you become indignant. <laughs> they were indignant. Why? Because they didn't get to call shotgun first. Isn't that annoying when your little sister, she comes in and you're, you, you know that it's your destiny to sit in the front seat without McDonald's french fries poking into your rear end and without the weird smell and without the air conditioning being broken. And you know it's your, I'm going to sit shotgun today. And all of a sudden your little sister runs up and goes, shotgun right? They're indignant because these guys, these disciples, James and John, they came to Jesus and they got there first. So they're angry, they're upset, they're indignant. Jesus called them together. Guys, come on, get over here. Peter, stop being indignant. You look stupid. Okay, come here. He said, you know that the rulers in this world, they lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Jesus introduces a brand new concept, a brand new concept. Now we're familiar with this because even in our society, we don't like to be known as selfish. Even though we live in a selfish culture, even though we live in a 
self-centered culture. Nobody likes it when you say, hey, you're totally selfish. How many of you like being called selfish? How many of you know that you are selfish sometimes? But we don't want anybody to notice, do we? Do you know why? It's because actually 2,000 years ago, a brand new ethic was introduced to the world. This has actually uh, historically uh, been researched that up to this point, before Jesus, before the cross, before his teaching on humility, before his teaching on serving, the value of humility and the value of serving was literally not recognized as being valuable at all. If you were to walk into a, a city in ancient Greece or ancient Rome and uh, up to before this point and say, hey, I'm a servant, guess what people would have done? They would have laughed at you it, because that wasn't a value. Being someone that lays their life down for others or helps other people, that did not become valuable until Jesus Christ brought in a brand new ethic into the world. I recommend a, a book to you. It's called Humilitas by a guy named John Dixon, and you can read about this. The, the historical shift that happened where Christianity literally ushered in a brand new age where humility and serving others and laying your life down for other people actually became a value. But until this point, what Jesus is describing is the culture they lived in, very much like our culture. But it, but it wasn't even, look, nobody cared if you said, well, you're just trying to get the place of honor. Because that was like, yeah, duh, why, wouldn't I, why would I do anything else? And he says, look, among my people, among my disciples, if you're going to follow me, it will be different. And listen to these words. Lean in and listen to these words. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. You want to lead in God's kingdom? You want to leave an impact in the world? You can't be a leader in the sense of what culture says is a leader. You can't be a celebrity. You can't be the big show, the big deal. Jesus says, look, it's different among my people. You have to be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Thank you. Must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. And this is Jesus talking about himself. This is Jesus Christ. Jesus, the reason that we're gathered here today. Jesus said, even I, even the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said that my mission coming here to earth stepping down from my throne, coming out from the, the literally at the, the calling shotgun with God, being at the right hand of the Father. I came down here to serve you. And this is the brand new way that Jesus wants us to think. If we want to make a difference, we have to be different. Jesus said, you know how it works, guys. The leaders, the bosses, the authorities, they lord it over. You ever had a boss like this? I'm the boss. You're the underling. Squish you under my feet. I told my dad when I was growing up, Dad, I'm the boss. He said, no, Jake, you're the nothing boss. Right? <laughs> that was a good lesson to learn, right? I was pretty excited to be the nothing boss. Then when I learned you know, what that meant, I realized how that, that went. But we have to change the way we operate if we want to make a difference. Do you know why a lot of people don't feel that Christianity is very impactful? It's because they see Christians who are just as interested in getting to the top, even if it's in a religious context. They see Christians who do not look like Jesus, but look more like authorities, who look more like celebrities, who look more like rulers, who look more like kings than they do like servants. If we want to make a difference, we have to be different. We have to be different. Let me give you four ways we can be different. Four 
ways. Answering this question, how do I live a life that leaves an impact? How do I live a life that makes a difference? How do I live a life that, that doesn't just lead to the propagation of my current culture, but actually changes things and makes a difference? Number one, we need to be like Jesus and put others first. Be like Jesus, put others first. Say this with me, put others first. I had the opportunity to direct a college internship group down in Medford for nine years and one of the things that we did towards the end of my time as the director is we in introduced this phrase, this statement, and we kind of did a campaign early on in the year to help with our culture inside of our group. And it was this phrase, you are more important than me. You are more important than me. And here's the beautiful thing that happens when we as a community look at others and say, you are more important than me. It's not a statement of intrinsic value. God loves everybody equally. We're all children of God. It's not saying that, oh, I, it's not a false humility or you're a better person. No, no. What it's saying is that I'm going to live to make you a success. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work. I'm going to give my time, my money, my effort to see another person become a success. You're more important than me. You know what? Why don't you sit in the front seat? You know what? Why don't you take shotgun? Hey, why don't you go ahead and go through the line first? Listen, instead of me telling you about everything I want to do and everything that's going on in my life, why don't I listen to your story? You're more important than me. And you know what? This, what happens is it's a beautiful thing, is when I say you're more important than me and you say you're more important than me, guess who gets to be the most important? Yes? Not the answer I was looking for, exactly, but thank you. <laughs> God gets to be most important, absolutely. But guess who is most important when both parties are equally making the other person most important? Both of you. Both of you. This is how beautiful marriages work. My wife, I'm taking care of her and she's taking care of me. I'm not looking out for myself and neither is she and therefore we're both looking out for each other. Right? Cooperation, collaboration, beautiful relationships are formed when I say, Barry, you're more important than me. I'm not looking at you saying, how can you make my dream come to pass? I'm saying, how can I make your dream come to pass? Put other people first. You're more important than me. This is what Jesus did. Listen to this passage in Philippians chapter 2. Paul's writing to the Philippian church. And literally, part of this passage was, was actually a song that early Christians would sing. They would, they would sing about it because they wanted to ingrain this mindset into their, their faith. He said, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, listen to this, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He was king of the universe and he became the servant of all. Do you know why Jesus Christ made the most significant impact on the world of any person throughout history? Why do, we even, why do we even call the dates? Anno Domini, the, the, the year of our Lord, A.D. and B.C. B.C. meant before Christ. That's trying to change now. They call it B.C.E., before Common Era. But for a long time, it was B.C., before Christ, right? And then A.D., the year of our Lord. It was recognizing that history pivots and turns on Jesus Christ. So why, why is that so? Why, why is Jesus 
the pivotal figure of history as opposed to Julius Caesar or, or Napoleon or anyone else? Why is Jesus the pivotal figure of history? It's because he gave up the most to serve. His impact was proportional to what he gave up to serve. Listen to me. Do you know who makes the greatest impact in our lives? It's the person that will give up the most and go the furthest for you. Think about this. Why? If you, how many of you could say, I have a great mom? You have a great mom, all right? Sorry, it's not as many people as I would have hoped, but you have a great mom. And you know, one of the beautiful things about a great mom, and I have a great mom. She's a little Italian mom. You know, she's amazing. My mom, Kim, one of the beautiful things about my mom is that she sacrifices so much even of her own desires or whatever, she sacrifices so much, her love leaves an impact in me. It's left an impact in me because she's given up so much. Selfish people do not make an impact. They, they might repulse you and leave an impact in that way, but they do not leave an impact. Why does history pivot on Jesus? Because he gave up the most. He left the position of king, left the position of sitting at the right hand, he gave up even his divine attributes. He was emptied of himself. And, he, and this is the way that we're to live. We're to be like Jesus and put others first. And this kind of a lifestyle, when we embody this value of being a servant, we turn the world upside down. We will leave an impact. Number two, how do we live a life that leaves an impact? We need to make the move from spiritual consumers to spiritual contributors. I love this phrase. I got this from Pastor Craig Groeschel. Make the move from spiritual consumers... <coughs> to spiritual contributors. Listen to this phrase. The church does not exist for us. We are the church, and we exist for the world. The church does not exist for us. We are the church, and we exist for the world. Come on, I'm preaching. I need to hear like some amen. Okay, I'm just going to get, I'm just going to start kicking my foot down here right now. I don't have a pulpit, otherwise I'd be thumping on it. We don't just go to church. We are the church. I'm not a spiritual consumer. I don't come to church. What can I consume? What, what's happened? Did the word, did, it, did this bless me? Did I like the music? Did I like the sermon? Hopefully you do, but that's not the point. We don't go to church. We are the church. We congregate as the church and we exist for the world. The very first message that I spoke on at Joy Church Eugene in our living room six or seven weeks ago, whatever, was about reaching the 220,000 people that do not know Jesus in our community. Amen. We don't come to church so we can feel good. Oh, I feel good. We sang some songs and I heard a good message and I feel blessed. Hopefully that thing, hopefully that happens, but only as a secondary goal. The first goal is that we would come together and be like Jesus, put other people's first and make this move from a spiritual consumer to a spiritual contributor. I want to ask this question of you. If you really sat down and got quiet on your own thoughts this week and asked yourself this question, what would the answer be? Am I a consumer or a contributor? Am I looking for what I can get out of relationships or what I can put in? Am I looking for what I can get out of a church or what I can put in? Am I looking for, for, to consume or am I looking to contribute? Jesus spoke to a woman in John chapter 4 and he was ministering to this woman. It's a beautiful story about ministering to this woman that had been in many relationships and was empty, so on and so forth. And John chapter 4, verse 31, Jesus' disciples come up and they're urging Jesus. It says, Rabbi, eat something. He's been working. He's been ministering. And he says, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And they're like, what? Twinkies? What? Like, 
You give like hot pockets? I mean, what, what do you got? They're like, we need some of this. They said, did someone bring him food while we were gone? We're the disciples. Like, this is our job. We bring Jesus food. Who brought Jesus food? You didn't give him food, did you? He says, no, guys. In verse 34, he explained. He said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. When you come to know Jesus in a real way, you're not looking for what you can consume. You're looking for what you can contribute. And when you contribute, guess what happens? You are nourished. Jesus said, look, I get filled. I get blessed. My needs get met when I do God's will. When I am the church out in the world, when I'm representing uh, my Father, when I'm doing His will, I get my needs met. I get filled up. Listen, when I leave Sundays, I go home and take a nap, watch some football, whatever, eat some food. I need nourishment. Yeah? But guess what? Being able to preach and share God's Word, share the Gospel, it fills me up at at a very deep level because we're spiritual contributors, not consumers. This is how we leave an impact in the world. Number three is identify my contribution. Everybody's different. Everybody has different gifts. All of you are gifted, incredibly gifted, incredibly amazingly gifted. And it's important that I identify my contribution and know what I'm going to give. And to share about this, we have a guest speaker today on video. Go ahead, Ben. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, helps us see how God wants us to use our gifts in the church. Here's what Scripture says. In His grace, God has given us what, everybody? God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you, now Paul's going to list seven different gifts. There's many more. He's going to list seven. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Second gift, if God has given you the gift of serving others, serve them well. If God, if you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you a leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, and kindness. Seven different gifts. You may not know particularly how you are gifted. Uh, Back when I was in seminary, uh, they gave us an example um, about how to know which one is yours. It was called the apple pie illustration. And here we go again with another food illustration. How is this happening? I do not know. But it's called the apple pie illustration. And basically it goes like this. Imagine I'm at a table and I'm uh, eating apple pie and the apple pie is on the edge of the table. It's in a very dangerous spot. And you notice it, but I bite into it when I do the apple pie falls flat on my lap. What do you do? If you say, oh my gosh, that's horrible. Here, let me help clean it up. I'll take care of that. Just stay still. And you go and immediately get to work. You have the gift of serving. How many of you are like that? How many of you are like that? You love serving behind the scenes. If you say, oh, I can't believe that happened here. I want to buy you another one. And oh, let's have a whole round of apple pies for everyone at the table. How many of you might be like that? A little bit like that? You you, you see, you're humble. There's more of you than that. You are givers, but you don't like anybody to know you're a giver. You want to do it anonymously because you like to give, and that's one of the qualities of great givers. Some of you would say, hey, don't worry. We can get this organized in no time at all. You go get this, and you go get this. Let's get it done. We'll do it in 30 seconds or less. Who's like kind of like this? Point to them. You know they're there. They're bossy. They told you not to point. They have the gift of leadership or administration, and you see them around you. Someone else is going to go, oh, man, that was funny. I did it the other day. In fact, I've got an Apple Pie watch. Ah, throw it in my lap, too. <laughs> okay? Who, who, who kind of like that? Okay? You're, you're having so much fun, you're not even paying attention. You're an encourager. 
and you love to make others feel better. Those of you who say, oh, I hurt with you. I I have none of this gift, and so I can't even do it with a straight face. Like, (laughs) I feel so bad. Oh, you know, okay, who's kind of like that? You've got, you're, you've got kindness, you're empathetic, you're great to be with, I don't understand you, but it's totally, <laughs> totally great. Some of you would say, you know what? There's really a better way to eat apple pie. I've been researching this, and I've got a chart with seven steps to, in fact, in the Hebrew language, let me tell you, the actual Hebrew word that's translated as apple pie is hakasamagoth, you know, whatever. So, how many of you are kind of like, like that? You, you've, got, you've got the gift of teaching, man. Open up the Bible, bring a life group around you. You're in heaven teaching what you've uh, discovered. And then how many of you would say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen anybody do? Go ahead, raise your hand high. You don't care what anybody thinks. You've got the gift of prophecy. You see things in black and white. That was stupid, you idiot. You shouldn't have done that. You deserve to have that apple pie in your lap because that's how stupid you are. And, you, you know, you just prophesy and say it like it is. All right, let's give him a hand. It's so great uh, to have one of the pastors of the largest churches in America visit us today at Joy Church, Eugene. One of the things I love about having Pastor Craig come speak for us is that he always ends like right on time. Every time, it's amazing. Isn't that a good illustration? So identify my contribution. What, when the apple pie gets dropped in somebody's lap, how do you immediately respond? I thought that was just a wonderful way to help us identify our contribution. Now really think about it. It's funny, but really think about what is my contribution? Because, and and it doesn't have to be just one. Sometimes you're you're kind of multi-gifted. You might be like actually empathetic and a good leader, hopefully, right? But but there's going to be something that sort of sticks out, something that kind of really is who you are, embodies who you are. And when you know what that is, it allows you to, to really serve well and to feel comfortable in your own skin, right? Some people, if I was like, hey, next Sunday, I'm going to you know, go on vacation, and I really feel the Lord told me that you're supposed to share in front of all these people and, and give a word. How many of you would rather die than get in front of people, right? And I know that these people exist, right? Yeah, and, uh, and, so, and that's okay, because maybe that's not your gift. Now, maybe it is, and God wants to do something, but maybe it's not. Maybe you really are the person that would much rather get a towel and wipe tables down and do that, that kind of thing. And that's, that's great, right? That's great. Identify your contribution. Number four, again, answering the question, how do we live a life that leaves an impact? Number four, we need to serve in the church, but also as the church in the world, okay? So when you begin to identify your contribution, that's something that's going to take place within the four walls of the church that us as a, as a congregation, as a group, a, a fellowship, that you're going to serve in the church. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Thessalonica, and it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. He says, so encourage each other and build each other up. Build each other up, just as you are already doing. Everybody in the church has a job, has a part to play. It's like being part of a family. When I was growing up, my dad said, you know, everybody in the family has a job. And depending on your age, your job was different. When you're a brand new baby, your job is to survive and drink milk and be cute and, you know, keep the poop inside the diaper. And that's your job. And, and you're part of the family. You're contributing. You know, my dad would say, look, I go and I make the money, but it's not my money. It's our money as a family. I thought that was really good. Everybody in the family has a job. As I began to, to, to grow and uh, mature, then I had different jobs that were given to me, like to mow the lawn and 
uh, to do my homework, so on and so forth. But in a family, everybody has a job. And for us, as we look at what our contribution is and identify and say, look, I'm an encourager, or maybe I'm a leader, or maybe I'm an administrator, an organizer, I do my job in the family. And what does that do? It makes the house fun to be in. It makes the house exciting and successful. You ever been to a dysfunctional family? Dysfunctional house? Maybe you're like, I am a dysfunctional family. We all are, right? We just put the fun back in dysfunction. But you ever go to a dysfunctional house? It's not fun to be there. The fun goes away because maybe the dad's out of order. He's not doing what he needs to do. Maybe he's abusive and the mom's not doing what she needs to do. Or maybe somebody's trying to do double duty and be mom and dad or whatever. But it, but it, it's, it's difficult. But when you go to a, a family where everybody's doing their job and you come into that house, it's, it's a great atmosphere. Uh, you know, for me, I'm actually an introvert. And when I was young, I enjoyed having friends over to my house for a specified amount of time, right? Like, come over, be a part of my life, two hours, and then go. You know, anybody relate to this? Come on over. But my friends, they loved coming to my house. And it wasn't because of me. My friends actually tell mostly true stories about how mean I was to them. My buddy t tells the story about when he came over and spent the night and I didn't give him any blankets, you know. <laughs> he says, Jake gave me a little, like, you know, T-shirt or a shawl to put on. I said, I'm just trying to help you develop your manliness. But anyways, my friends, they loved coming over to my house, and I'll tell you why. Because there was function in the family, good dad, good mom, kids, semi in order. There was always great snacks in the cupboard. There was always an atmosphere of, let's eat, Let's have fun. Everybody keep it on the straight and narrow, but man, it's going to be a place of joy. It was so fun to come over to my house. And so my friends were like addicted to coming over to my house growing up. And I'm like, please leave. And they're like, no, you have Hot Pockets. Your mom just literally bought everything that Costco sells. And she bought like two of everything. You know, I have an Italian mom, right? I just put out some of the snacks and it's a whole table of food. But they loved coming over because the family was in order and it was a place of encouragement, a place of building up. That's what we want to do. When we serve in the church, we create a family environment that is so healthy, so good, so attractive, right? I would love it when people come to Joy Church Eugene that maybe they don't even, they're like, I don't know about Jesus. Like I'm still figuring this whole thing out spiritually, but you guys are just really fun. You're really nice. I would like people to feel our Christianity before they even understand our Christianity. So we serve in the church, but we don't just serve in the church. Jesus didn't just say, make a great place for people to come to. He said, you also serve as the church in the world. We serve as the church out in the world. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We are the light of the world. We're that city that's set on a hill. Are we shining the light of Jesus in our community? Because God gets glory. God gets glory when we operate in this way. When we operate as the church in the world. You know, my, if you want to know how I approach being a pastor, I'll give you one passage of scripture and you will, you'll totally get it. Ephesians chapter 4 says, God gives the fivefold ministries, the pastor, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, and the evangelist. 
He gives these ministries to some people and their job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. When I think, when I sit down on Monday morning and I get ready for next Sunday and, I, and I'm praying and asking God, where do you want Joy Church to go? Let me tell you what I'm thinking about. Not how do I become a better minister. It's how do I help all of you be the individuals that God has already gifted you to be, to be the church out in the world. My whole job is it rises and falls. I am not successful if I preach a good sermon. I am successful if you become the individuals that God's called you to be. And we are together the church out in the world. That is my mission as a pastor, to equip you. And please come to me and say, help me be equipped to do this. This is who I am. I've identified my contribution. How can I serve both in the church and as the church out in the world? And so wrapping it up today, coming to the end, I want to reiterate that when we, when we want to leave an impact, when we want to make a difference, we have to be different. People should feel and experience your Christianity before they understand it or know it intellectually. You hear what I'm saying? People recognize servants before they recognize your philosophy. People will recognize your graciousness, your kindness, your contribution, your encouragement, or your leadership, or whatever. Whatever it is that, that God has gifted you to do, when you are doing that both in and outside of the church, the world will notice it, and we will make a difference. We will leave an impact by embracing the value and becoming servants. Thank you.